Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message. Now, literally, the cross of Calvary is a visual aid. Let me say that again. The cross of Calvary is a visual aid. I have loved ones in heaven right now, and you have loved ones in heaven right now, that can fellowship with something about you. Now, you'll listen very carefully. You've got to think deeply, and don't try to figure out divine mysteries. Just know that they're real when they're relative to divine facts. Now, When you got saved, God gave you a gift of eternal life. John 10:28. He that hath the Son has eternal life. John 5:12. The problem we have is this eternal life is in a body of death. Number two, it's in a body of sin. That's the problem we have with eternal life. It's not with eternal life. It's with our body of death in Romans 6, 6 and 7, 24. Now, my loved ones that are gone in heaven do not have this body of death and they do not have this body of sin. When they <coughs> died, their soul body and by the way, if I died this second and you died this second, we could fellowship on the way up. Then we could see each other's soul body. <clears throat> the Bible says the soul of the Christian combined with his spirit go upward. In Ecclesiastes 3.21, <clears throat> and the beasts go downward. <clears throat> so when we get saved... <clears throat> Pardon me, it's the last time I'm going to do that until the next time. When, when we get saved, we're absent from the body and present with the Lord. What is absent from the body? The soul body. My human spirit is resident in the soul. I do have a precious glass of water, folks, up here already. Thank you. Uh, the pastor had foreknowledge. Now... Exodus 23, 20, the angels prepared the water. That's what those angels do, prepare ahead of time. Now, uh, boy, wouldn't you like to be smart like this? I'm only teasing now, don't think. I don't go to movies like you do. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't gamble. So just let me have fun preaching. Now, I, uh, I want you to see that your human spirit with doctrine is resident in your soul body. Your soul body is resident in your human body that gives you two bodies. I see your human body. I do not see your soul body. Your soul body is of a certain size. When the Word of God says in Proverbs 11, talks about a person 
being fat, it is not talking about your weight, it's talking about your soul body. When you have a community of doctrine correlating in divine rhythm, in the melody of grace in your soul, and it dwells richly in your soul, in Colossians 3.16, your soul body is big. Now, you'll know spirit-filled, mature Christians in heaven because they'll have a big soul body, and you can see them when you leave this body. If you see somebody with a small soul body, the one people that go to church once a week and don't listen properly when they go, they're going to have a small soul body. Now, I want you to know, just in case you want more evidence, that Revelation 6, 8 through 10 <coughs> speaks about the souls of them that were in heaven that got martyred in the tribulation period crying out, how long, O oh God, you're going to let them get away with it. Now, that wasn't a physical body. The Advent Christians better read that verse. The Seventh-day Advents better read that verse. That was their soul body. So the soul bodies in heaven... The physical body is dead when a person dies, and the spirit and the soul body are combined. Now, billions of years ago, from is not correct exegesis, the Lamb was slain from the beginning of the convention of the Trinity. The convention was in Acts 2.23, the foreknowledge of it, of course, in Isaiah 46.10 and Romans 8.28, Ephesians 1.4. Billions of years ago, long before time, the Lamb was slain. After time is over, in Revelation 10.6, and time shall be no more, the Lamb will still be slain. The cross was a literal place with a literal Jesus Christ, with a literal death, a literal burial, a literal resurrection. However, <clears throat> that's just a visual aid of what Jesus Christ has witnessed and seen and what the Father has, has, has observed and, and known all of his eternity. This is a deep truth. I want you to get it. The Father has always seen the Lamb. The Father has always seen the Lamb slain. When Jesus Christ went on the cross and bore our sins in his own body on a tree in 1 Peter 2.24, that was a visual aid of what the Father has seen from the foundation of the world. Many, many years ago, in the eternal convention of Acts 2.23, he who knew the end from the beginning in Isaiah 46.10, he who chose us before the foundation of the world in Ephesians 1.4, billions of years before time ever began, the Father would say, there's the Lamb. With all the sacrifices, with all the animals and the goats and the lambs and the bullocks and the turtle doves for the poor, 
for the 250,000 sacrifices per year. One day, and I said this in Baltimore, and it was the greatest precious moment of my life. One day, John the Baptist, the great man of God, looked up and he said, There's the Lamb! There he is! There's the Lamb! That taketh away the sin of the world. There's the Lamb that was the Lamb. Billions of years before you were ever born. He knew your name. He knew that you would believe and receive Jesus Christ. And every body that's predestinated is inside the Lamb before you're ever born. Knowing that you would with your volition accept Christ. That is why in Ephesians 1.24, according as he's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and walk before, blameless and walk before him in love. Billions of years ago, God knew I had no sin on me because he saw the Lamb that died for my sins. Billions of years ago, God could not impute sin to you. Because you believed in the Lamb, in the plan of omniscience, foreknowledge, before you were ever born. That is why Jesus Christ, knowing every single sin that we'd ever commit, could have us predestinated inside of Him. There's no predestination. I had to get one of our teachers straight in Lennox. He said behind my back that... Uh, there's a predestination for people. No, there's no predestination for man. My predestination is in Christ because God knows what he's going to do in his perfection. I have to be hid with Christ and God in my predestination. That's why I can have a predestinated life to be conformed to the image of his Son. I want to say this. Loved ones in heaven... There is a crystal sea in Revelation 4, 5, and 6. You say, how do you know? All right, if there's no crystal sea, how did the souls of them that were beheaded know what was going on on earth? Revelation. I gave you the verse. They knew what was going on because there is a crystal sea. I want to say this. It's transparent glass. But it's not a sad thing. But I want to say this. The eternal life of my loved ones can fellowship with my eternal life. I cannot fellowship with them. They can fellowship. I don't mean some spooky thing. I just mean they can fellowship with my eternal life. They're not sad about me. They can fellowship with my eternal life. Their eternal life can fellowship with my eternal life. Now, the visual aid of the cross. In Psalm 84, 9, the Father looked upon the face of his anointed. I said the Father looked upon the face of his anointed. 
Now, in Daniel 9.29, the Father has never looked upon your sins, but he always looks upon righteousness. I said, your Father in heaven has never looked upon your sins, but he looks upon your righteousness. Now, when the Bible says, Know ye not your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and the weak things of the world to confound the mighty, and the base things, and the things that are not to confound the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But then it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Are you listening? Now, uh, I said that the Father never looks upon sin. We're accepted inside the Beloved, and He looks upon His Son. Now, in Ezekiel 26.16, the Jews looked upon their sins and lost their confidence. In Ezekiel 21-24, they looked upon their sins and became in bondage. Father never looked upon their sins. Jesus never looked upon their sins. He bore them. They lost their confidence. They lost their bondage because they looked upon their sins. Are you getting that? Numbers 21a, the serpent on the pole, picturing Christ in John 3.14. And, and every single one that had been bitten by serpents were told not to look at the serpent bites, not to look at their kids who had serpent bites, nor their family, but look unto the brazen serpent, which was like unto a serpent, but it was not a serpent, just like Jesus was like unto sinful flesh, but was not sinful flesh. And the moment they looked upon the brazen serpent, they were healed. That's a picture of Isaiah 45:22, where Jesus said, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and you will be delivered or saved. For this reason, the cross is a visual aid of what always was. You say, how does God feel in heaven? Well, let me give you Isaiah 63, 9. In all your afflictions, he's afflicted. That gives you an idea of what he feels like. In all your afflictions, he's afflicted. Now, the father looked at his son And he said, there's the lamb. But nobody has, the angels haven't even been created. The human race has not been created. The father said, there's the lamb. There's my lamb. There's their lamb. Now the plan can be perfected. Because there's a lamb before the plan. Before our creation. 
our God can uh, save us, so to speak, in our mother's womb. Because now there's the land that was slain before we sinned. Now this is the reason for one of the most beautiful principles that we have ever considered. We are told to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Hebrews 12, 2. That means we turn away from looking at anything else and we look unto Jesus. Even when we've sinned, we name it and look right unto... Let me tell you something. Menesco, M-E-M-N-E-S-K-O, in Hebrews 8.12 and 10.17 and 78.9 in the Psalms. Jeremiah 31.34, four references of the equal of Menesco in the Hebrew and Greek. This is what it means. Don't ever forget Menesco. It means my sins are gone, the experience of them have gone, and the results of them have gone, and what they did to other people has gone. Oh, if you could get this this morning. You don't hear this preaching. You don't need uh, anybody when you know this. Men, let's go. Say it. Say Psalm 78, 9. Jeremiah 31, 34. Then in the Greek, uh, Hebrews 8, 12. Hebrews 10, 17. My sins are gone. My, my sin is gone. The results are gone. The experience is gone. And what I did to other people because of it is gone in God's sight. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com I love the song, My Sin Has Been Nailed to the Cross of My Savior. Especially when a big choir is singing behind maybe the soloist. My sin has been nailed to the cross of my Savior, where Satan has no power. I listened to that song today, and it just really stirred my heart. And the truth of it, and the power of it. We know that Christ paid for our sins, and a scripture, we, we see it, that the blood of Christ was shed, or made clean by God. In Romans 2.12, it's, following. It's an interesting passages there. Um, and we see in Romans the, the legality of redemption, of justification, of uh, imputation. Uh, we see really why God can forgive us because of the cross. Here in Romans 2, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. 
And that it, there, the word in the Greek is a nomos. For as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And the word there for the law is nomos. And nomos is, means to parcel out. It means a, a precept or injunction. A rule of action prescribed by reason. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And really we would say that the natural man, <laughs> here, here's Paul, the great student of the Torah, and he's describing all of us now, that the natural man accuses and excuses. Why? Because he has a rule of action that's prescribed by reason. We're not under the Levitical law. The Levitical law was not given to the church. The Levitical law was given to the nation of Israel, and it had civil ordinances and moral ordinances as well. And those things have been mirrored in many societies because they are uh, such a great standard of what's just and true and right. And some of the nations, if we live in the United States, very much were formed from biblical convictions. But these biblical convictions about what's right and true God does not hold us under the law. We are no longer under the law. There was a perfect man who walked and completed and was under the law and fulfilled all of the righteousness that was necessary. That man was Jesus Christ. Have you look in the scriptures? We can look at the, the Ten Commandments. And all of them, all of them are reiterated in the New Testament. And although we're not under the Levitical law, we see that this law is just and right. But we look, and I love if you look, and you can look through all of my pages of notes here, and it's a great study to do. The third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. That's in Exodus 27. But in the New Testament, we see a different tone. Here this was given, this was given as a rule, it's given as an ordinance, it's given as a, uh, a commandment, to the people of Israel that they are to uphold. But in the New Testament, in Luke 11.2, in Matthew 6.9, as Christ is praying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Huh. I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account of in the day of judgment, in Matthew 12.36. There's a different tone, isn't there? There's an accountability but it's an accountability and a relationship of love. Colossians 2.13 And you, being dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That word trespasses there is very well translated. It means there's a boundary of line and you've stepped over into territory you never should have gone into. Territory that belonged to another, that was prohibited to you, but you trespassed in that place. And you are forgiven 
all of those trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, nailing it to his cross, handwriting of ordinances. I love that. And you look at that word, maybe we focus on that word ordinances, and all that was contrary. Word ordinances there is dogma. And it means accepted rule given by authority. But I love the word before that. Handwriting of ordinances. Chirographon. And this was a handwritten document. They were handwritten ordinances. Interesting, huh? And says in Romans that this Gentile who's living and who's living out by by the the rule prescribed by reason, the rule of action prescribed by his own reason, following his own moral conscience, knowing that he has transgressed, even not just the written ordinance of what is right and wrong received from from a due authority, but knowing that he's transgressed his own thought of what's right and wrong. He knows and thinks certain things are right and wrong, and he's done contrary to them. And they're handwritten in against him. And all of that was nailed to the cross. And that brings to us into a different place. When we know our transgression, our sin, and all of the rules that were written down that were right and true, and yet they are nailed and blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then we have a diff- then what are we accountable to now? Now that we live by grace and we don't live under law, what are we accountable to? We're accountable to love. We stand facing an empty cross, a, a place where our Savior died with the list of the rules that were used to govern our lives that were nailed with him there. And it's an empty cross. And now we're free. And we live in grace. And we walk by faith. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have communion with God the Father. And problems come when we put ourselves back under. Somehow. In the, the, this, that I have a rule of action that's prescribed by my reason of how to act. Instead of having scriptural basis for moving and walking in love. And when I'm walking in love, the New Testament gives me the, the mode, it gives me the method to function within those Ten Commandments, fulfilling them fully through living a life of love, a life of grace, a life of mercy, empowered by the Spirit of God. Not as some means of comparing myself to them to see where I measure up, but instead looking unto Jesus who has measured up and nailed those things to the cross that we might be free. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com So today, my friends, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, whatever guilt is bearing down on your shoulders, your sins have been nailed 
to the cross of the Savior of the world. And all of the handwriting of ordinances written by men or written by God are blotted out by His precious blood and they are nailed up there with Him. And you can be right with God. You can be right with yourself and free if you receive the free gift of salvation that Christ purchased for you with His precious blood. Pray a prayer with me. Lord, come into my life. Wash me. Cleanse me. Scriptures say that all of my guilt, all of my sin, all of the voices that condemn me have been silenced by your cross. They're not heard in heaven. Only joy and rejoicing, only mercy and grace, only those things, only fellowship and goodness and kindness do you have for your people. And I want to be numbered in that number. I receive the gift of salvation that you've purchased for me. And I ask you to come into my life. Cleanse me, wash me, and make this truth known. Teach me that my conscience might be clear and I might be free to serve and live and worship the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.